Blog Talk Radio. Greetings and welcome. This is the People's Black Panther Party Radio, and we are coming together on the Did You Know series. Uh, under the leadership of Chairman Yanga, Chief of Staff War, and the National Director of Operations 7, myself, we are so pleased to bring to you this opportunity for us to go over, you know, some of the big shapers of our history. You know, so many times we wait for Black History Month to pop up. We wait for other people to tell us our history. We got to start being the ones to share our history, and not just the history for what it technically means, what it technically is, but our history as far as what it means to us still have value. You know, should we? why are we still learning about it? Why are we still going over it? And so I'm always really, I'm, I'm a bit of an education buff myself. So for the next hour, we get to hear some important information about one of the greats that did a lot to shape um, our history, and we get to hear from one of our rising greats, you know, happens to be my firstborn, Solomon. But we're we're going to be going over truly who Muhammad Ali was technically and what he's meant to many, many others in his life. So I'm so, pl- so proud of uh, presenting this program this evening. Let me see if I can bring Solomon in on the line. Greetings, welcome to the program. Greetings, greetings. How are you doing today? I am well. I am well. How are you faring from Savannah? I'm doing good, doing good. All right. So I know you had busy photo shoots this morning, all day today, and everything else like that, but it's important that we take this time out, and it's super important that, you know, we give our young people voice and opportunity to be heard, to share in the process. So I'm elated over here uh, to present Muhammad Ali. So tell me about, tell me what you know of. Tell, tell, talk to us. Tell us about Muhammad Ali. Okay. Um, ever since from an a early age, Muhammad Ali has always been a name that everybody knows about. To this day, everybody knows about Muhammad Ali. But there's two things that I learned in the past week that I, I, I never, ever, ever knew. And the first thing being that Muhammad Ali was not his born name. And the second mm. being, I didn't know this. I, I caught on later in life, but I didn't know that he was stripped of all of his trophies and accomplishments in the ring at all. I didn't know any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I, I, I hope that you're going to go through and tell us about that, you know, the very intentional sacrifice that he made, you know, to prove a point to the United States government. Yes, I do. It's, it's really interesting. I have a nice little presentation. I, it was really fun connecting all the dots. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let people know our history can be fun. You know, sometimes I think we shy away from history 
um, because of slavery, because part of our history is very um, sad sometimes, just sad and cold and everything else like that. But really reading and knowing where you come from and some of the strengths of our history can make you feel, you know, empowered. So, yeah, share with us, young one. Share us the presentation. We're ready for you. <laughs> okay, okay. So the first, the where where I'm going to start off was when he was in. I don't want to go too deep into detail about accomplishments in the ring. We all know that, but the biggest impact that he had, in my opinion, is outside of the ring because that's where he made most of his noise, anyways. So what we're going to start off at is. He won his first gold medal in 1960, an Olympic gold medal in Rome, and off of that, he started his boxing career. In 1964, he challenged Sonny Linston to a heavyweight championship and was critically acclaimed biggest fight in history. And it's so it's so weird find, having to study this stuff when I could just call my mom <laughs> or my father and find out any of this information with the two-minute phone call, and I have to go look for it. It's just kind of interesting to know that a lot of these people are walking around with history that they actually lived through. But he, mm-hmm. he so he won the fight. Now, the time, what I want to make emphasis on is he won the fight in two days after he won that fight. He made an announcement that he started practicing. He started practicing. He was accepting teachings of the Nation of Islam. And now, this was a very even even to this day. No, everything that a, a a big superstar does or says makes waves through everything. And back then it was times ten. So everybody wants to know. It's like winning a championship, and then they ask you, "What are you going to do next?" So it's it's huge. Everybody wants to know. And for him to make that stand, knowing that it wasn't gonna, there was a, he knew that there was a chance that people weren't going to accept this. And something bad could happen from saying this, but he decided to take a stance, and he and he he said that he was accepting practices. And I thought like that to me just it it took enough that being black in that time and not fitting in the fold that they already set for you was enough. And for him to make this kind of stand out like that, I thought was I was reading it and I felt like I was seeing it in real life because I know that that took a lot and. Um, the the next thing that I didn't know about, I didn't know, I joke about my mom all the time because I'm the only son that I can't get drafted into the military. We joked about it all the time because I didn't know it was real. I read about it in my history book, and the history books painted it to be so, so far away as if we wouldn't know anybody that physically got drafted into it. Like, that happened such a long time ago. But I didn't know that he rejected to go to the military. I didn't know anything about that. Yeah. So what happened was that he was he was stripped from his championships, from fighting. He was banned from every – he couldn't enter anything, and the ban stayed for five years. So five years later, he was allowed to return to boxing, and he stayed for about seven or eight years before he officially retired. And the way that I wanted to connect that to present day is – clear as day, which is very, in my opinion, is very, very sad that something like this happened a long time ago and stuff like this still continues a lot in 2021. And I think it's ridiculous. But um, 
we all know about the Colin Kaepernick situation, and when he made that mm-hmm. kind of stance in a public view, he was – he. I remember every day he would make a post about, like, day 415 he's been rejected from the NFL because it was like he was, like, consistently still trying to fight his way back in, and the NFL kind of put up a wall. I'm like, they didn't make any statements or anything for a very, very long time. They were kind of just hoping that it would die out by itself. And it's just it's just sad to see something like that go on and you go back in history and you see something sim- very, very similar to what's going on right now. It's kind of just scary for that history repeats itself like that because that's kind of the thing that we hope to get over and overcome so we don't have to deal with it anymore, but it's still going on. And with all the sports nowadays, the, uh, the NBA just started in 2020. They just started to promote Black Lives Matter. Absolutely. Absolutely. Before the restart of the season in July. Say it again? It was, was like, you didn't hear anything about it. Players were getting fined for wearing anything to show any kind of support of anything. I felt like anything that was going on in real life, like like, they did very minimal talking of things that was not basketball, even if they were literally – too big to ignore until the players that themselves made a stance. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine being part of that first group that said, no, we're, this isn't right. And if all we can do is make a stand, that's what we're going to do. But can you imagine, you know, they're taking a stand up against millions of dollars. You know what I'm saying? Um, they banned Muhammad Ali at the prime of his life. You know, the, the, the best, years that a boxer can box and they sidebarred him they 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 blackballed him and made it impossible for him to fight so um you know i don't know if he knew that that can wreck his career but he was still willing to do it you know and and that was a big thing he came out i I remember him having a statement you know talking about you know why i'm gonna go over there and fight them they ain't done nothing to me you right here did something to me. And, and you know, he made not only, you know, it wasn't nothing about him was silent. He had a mouth, you know, and, and he <laughs> used his mouth, you know, and he, he let you know those people over there are not my enemies, so I'm not going over there to fight them. So, um, and, and that, that to me was amazing because <laughs> he didn't have to do it, you know what I'm saying? He could have went on and lived his life and and been whoever he wanted to be, you know. And so it's like he used his notoriety, even if it was just 15 minutes, he used his notoriety for uh, what he thought was important, and um, it made such a big difference. Definitely. I mean, and I, and I think I feel like he knew that it was going to make that kind of difference because I know people in his corner, people in general were probably telling him not to do it. There's always that yeah. in that time doing something like that would be considered suicide. Like I know somebody told him not to do it and he felt like it was something that needed to be done, needed to be said. And it was just, it was just really important to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Also, you know, we can talk a little bit about, you know, and I know you have a presentation. Don't let me run over your presentation, okay? But Oh, no, you're fine. 
she was also standing up. They they ragged him about his name. His original name is Cassius. I believe it was Cassius Clay, right? And so, um, and he came out and said, you know, I'm not going by that name anymore. My name is now Muhammad Ali, and y'all are going to say my name before I walk into the ring. And this was right when Islam was really getting some deep roots in the African-American community. You know, um, Islam was definitely anti-white, especially when um, Muhammad Ali was coming in, Malcolm X was coming in. Islam was the opportunity to be anti-white. And so, you know, he was really fighting the system and, and would not talk to the announcers if they would not say his name right. You know what I'm saying? And and then they started saying both names, and he's like, look, I told you my name, you know, Muhammad Ali. And, and you know, he, he went on, you know, I am the greatest, and, and he did so much not just uh, helping black people, but also, you know, helping the mindset of black people because, you know, that self-esteem thing is real. And to have this young boxer from Louisville, Kentucky, come around and tell everybody that he's the greatest, they were like, who is this kid? You know, who is he? And, you know, he was just set out to make a difference, and he, he really did. Did I lose you? Oh, no, I'm here. I'm sorry. But I mm-hmm. definitely, I love the idea. What I was saying was I love the idea of sports being more focused on social injustice. I, I'm not saying that it has to be all social injustice because I understand that <laughs> I understand that they're not going to get that. We're not going to be able to do what we want. So I feel like what they allow now and what they get away with now is, it's very good, and I still – and even – I hate to hear people say that they should play sports and they should just stick to doing what they do, but I feel like some of these people are literally people that really need – a lot of kids look up to. Like, whatever they say out yeah. of their mouth, they're going to listen to, and especially me being in Savannah around people that don't look like me and don't interact with people the way I interact with people and don't watch the same things I watch, some people are not are not informed. They literally don't know. They just have no idea. And I know it sounds impossible not to know what's going on in America, but I've seen it with my own eyes. Some of these people are literally in bubbles, and they only focus yeah. on whatever affects them. And when it doesn't affect them, they turn a blind eye to it. And it's it's horrible. So when you get people that is, that is over a status that everybody is looking at, especially on an a, a NBA team or anything like that, and, and they say stuff like that, that makes a huge difference because you're you're cracking a wider audience. And everybody is able to see it now. Everybody knows what's going on because we can't all count on the news, sadly, and some people just don't care. That's right. That's right. You know, um, actually back in those days, uh, the idea of civil rights, the idea of activism, everyone did activism. No matter what your job was, you did activism. You know, if you were a teacher, you did activism. If you were, um, uh, no matter what you did, you worked in the grocery store, it didn't matter. 
you were an activist. You found a way to have your voice heard, have your position felt, encourage a young person along the way, you know, uh, say it loud, I'm bracket, I'm proud, you know. There there was a movement of people that were like, I am black and I'm, I'm proud of it, I'm happy, I, I can do, I can be, I am a man. And, and this was under some really poor conditions, you know. They were determined to be who they were no matter what the consequence was. And there was always a consequence, always, always. Sometimes the consequence was their very life, you know, but there was always a consequence. And, and I, sometimes now I'm I'm like, it's like they remove some of the consequence and they remove part of the fight, part of the struggle. You know, it's almost like people don't want to struggle if there's not a consequence or they don't want to see it because some people have reached a certain level of okayness, I guess. You know what I'm saying? They let a couple of us through, and then everybody loses their bite. And that's so the opposite because the very few people that they allow through, there are so many more that are going to get lost if we don't do something about it. Definitely. I I just – this project, it was, it was really fun for me because the only – sometimes – I feel like people, when they hear Black History Month, I, I never understood why everybody feels the need to have to go back to the 1950s when we talk about black history. <laughs> because when we, talk right. when we talk about history, all history is is the study of past events. That's, that's all history is. Past does not mean, like, there is no time on history. It, tomorrow, tomorrow is history. So it doesn't, Correct. I feel like people kind of, ignore what's been going on for the past five years and they want to skip to 10 to 15 years and talk about that past and the people that made those. But there, I'm like, especially in the middle of this pandemic and oh, there's like a, a whole of, it's so much going on around us. Like we're, we're literally walking through history. Like everything we're doing to, to this day is history. And I feel like a lot of people don't know that what we're going what we're going through in 10 years will be the thing that everybody wants to talk about because yes. that will be our history <laughs> at that point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like that will be the history that people will look at. And I think it's so important that we stay on top, look at the past, but also look to the future because, like you said, we're constantly making history. And we don't want people to think that the only time you make history is back then. You know, I don't want the only time we go through history is when you're the first. You know what I'm saying? There, There's a lot of other positions to be outside the first African-American to do this, the first African-American to do that. You know, I, I wouldn't, to me, it would be just as rejoiceful to be the, the second, third, the hundredth. I, it doesn't matter. You know, I think um, – when I think about you attending an HBCU like I attended an HBCU, I, I think of that as history. You know, that's part of our family history. It's part of the African-American expression as long as we're keeping these schools open. And so, you know, all of this becomes history and is definitely worthy of shedding a light on so others can see. You know, I want to talk about, 
a boxer. His name was Jack Johnson. He was before Muhammad Ali. And Jack Johnson was, um, he was rough, okay? He was uh, out of Texas, and um, he won, you know, this was back in civil rights. So this was maybe 30, 40 years before um, Muhammad Ali. And things were so bad when he would fight. And they would always put up, they didn't care, they would put him up against um, white boxers and everything else like that. But when he would fight and win, and he won 80% of his fights, five and six men, the whites would be so infuriated that they would go and find five or six men and hang them in the city that he would win in. And so that meant every time he won, black men died. And he was and and he made he was flamboyant in his win. You know, this was back before they had rules and stuff. And and he was pulverizing people. And the next day people had to die for that. It was crazy. So, you know, when it comes to understanding the history, we have to understand some of the um the challenges they were up against. You know, when you were fighting against men that would rather see you dead, how in the world, it'd be a little hard for me to concentrate, you know, just me personally, you know. And and so it's like, how do we continue to fight up against all odds, knowing that the odds are that set up against you, you know what I'm saying? Knowing that every time um, you step into this ring, they are poised against you. And so, you know, by the time Muhammad Ali got got there, there had they had already seen examples of black excellence when it comes to boxing. Um, but they've never seen his attitude. They're like, wait a minute, dude, how's you gonna come fight against us in a war? Decide that you're a very white American game and good enough for you Decide that you're taking on a whole nother religion that we did not give to you, the audacity. And so, you know, there again, fighting to be who you are is nothing new in the United States of America. And that's what Muhammad Ali did. He fought to be Muhammad Ali. Definitely. And one thing that I do with history for people my age is I, I, I try to make everything as current and relatable to everybody across the board because history is going to repeat itself. So in my eyes, LeBron James is probably one of the biggest athletes that anybody's name, that anybody's going to know. And if you say your name and somebody's going to turn their head because everybody knows about it. And one thing about, right. I remember, I think it was during quarantine is when he started speaking out on the things that were going on because for yeah. the NBA, the NBA was very more progressive with their stuff than the NFL. NFL was mostly silent. And I remember during yeah. quarantine, in the middle of the playoffs, the Bucks game five, I remember, game five, the Bucks they didn't play that game. They all went on strike, and they nobody played that game. And that day is when everybody – and so and it's the middle of the playoffs, so it's only four teams playing like four or six teams playing. So if one team say they're not playing, 
and and they're waiting for a knockout round with another team, nobody's going to play because you're wasting time. And then at that point is when it felt like everybody knew it was serious. And to be honest, on the on the COVID side of everything too, because they canceled they canceled the whole season after COVID hit. And I feel like that's when people my age, I, I remember people coming to me like they canceled the NBA. Like they these kids have been watching football. For, we watched the Super Bowl and the powers have been out in the Super Bowl and the lights were back on in five minutes and the game went right back as usual. But they canceled uh, the rest of the whole season of the NBA. And I remember the world. I just remember it felt like the whole world just stopped. And I remember huh? watching the news, and they were telling LeBron to just shut up and play basketball. It was on CNN, Fox, everything. And I just thought it was mm-hmm. really – he didn't say anything crazy. He he literally was talking about things that they were reporting anyway because it's news. And they – I don't understand. Right. It's not as severe and as damaging as it was in the past. But it, it's just kind of, like, ugly to see how much people hate to see people of high statues speak up for injustices and things that are going on in the news because these people are doing a lot in their communities because I remember two years ago he launched a he launched a whole school in his hometown for at at youth kids in his school for uh K through twelve, I think. Maybe K through yeah. uh middle school. And it was and it was huge news and like they they'll still try to find negative things. Nowadays they just try to put mud on your name and try to find anything negative to say about you. And it's just disgusting because I still see, I see black athletes every single day on, on the, on the news and off the news do wonderful things in their communities. And they still, and it's like, they, it's kind of sad that they have to do it quietly and secretively. And it can't be a big deal because once you bring it up into a public eye, it's like they'll find any way to, to talk down on what you're doing in the community to make those uninformed people perceive you as the way they're painting you. And that, that is what causes half of the issues in this day and age now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And how about this? LeBron is doing that now and he's vocal about that now, but he's been playing for a minute. What about, what if Kaepernick had kept quiet because Kaepernick had a lot of potential and he had, you know, he, he was supposed to be a shining quarterback. What if he had kept quiet in the beginning about it and then decided, okay, yeah, I'm going to say something now? You know, would the story be different? You know what I'm saying? And you are right. The NFL has been notoriously quiet about social and political issues um, as opposed to uh, NBA and um NBA, we can also, we can say WNBA, we can say all kinds of sports. But, you know, what would have happened if this was, you know, in the middle of his career? Would he have had more leeway at that point, you know? It's scary. It's scary. And it's just, you could flip it. What if LeBron would have said something way earlier? Would he have been the LeBron James that everybody loves? And and jumps up and down for it like you don't know and that's in the point that is is scary. It's scary to think that you could not have like there's a chance that if you would have done this four years ago you probably wouldn't be where you're at right now and it has nothing to do with your skills with your incapability yeah. your performance or your anything like that. And it's, it's crazy. It's I don't understand it and it and it's it's kind of scary. 
it's really scary to think about because if they – and those two are very big names. So just imagine how many regular people on a day-to-day that do that can't really speak up or other players that can't speak up because if they are getting bad for saying anything, that means anybody else is no tolerance. That means they get charged yeah. with those huge $5,000 fines and they just pay it and they just keep quiet. Yep. And those are just yep. the big ones. Yep. You know, also when it comes to Muhammad Ali, I have to I have this quote here I want to share because this is speaking about his refusal to go fight in Vietnam, you know. And he based the refusal on it was against his religious rights, you know. And again, him choosing to be in another religion, him choosing to make these decisions are a big part of who he was. And so the quote goes, why should they ask me to put on a uniform and go 10,000 miles from home and drop bombs and bullets on brown people in Vietnam while so-called Negro people in Louisville are treated like dogs and denied simple human rights? No, I'm not going 10,000 miles from home to help murder and burn another poor nation simply to continue the domination of white slave masters of the darker people the world over. This is the day when such evils must come to an end. I have been warned that to take such a stand would put my prestige in jeopardy and cause me to lose millions of dollars, which should accrue to me as the champion. But I have said it once, and I will say it again, the real enemy of my people is right here. I will not disgrace my religion, my people, or myself by becoming a tool to enslave those who are fighting for their own justice, freedom, and equality. If I thought the war was going to bring freedom and equality to 22 million of my people, they would not have drafted me. I would join tomorrow, and I either have to obey the laws of the land or the laws of Allah. I have nothing to lose by standing up for my beliefs, so I'll go to jail. I've been to jail for four, we've been in jail for 400 years. Now, do you know the, the, the heart it takes to sit here and say, I know I'm about to lose millions. I know I'll lose my endorsements. Whatever it takes, I'm not going over there because it's not the right thing to do. And, and that kind of stuff, the heart that it takes to do that, this is why he deserves this conversation right here that we're having because it takes a lot of heart to stand up for what is right, even if it causes you to come out on a loss. You know, this wasn't, this wasn't about good fame. He already had the good fame. He was the champ. So when you're making those kind of stands and, and see, I, you know, right now I look at people, he's willing to lose millions. I know some people that aren't willing to lose faith, you know what I'm saying? They're not willing to lose, you know, what they might consider. They're not willing to lose likes on Facebook, you know? So we are so low that we're not willing to stand for anything now. Everything is open to debate and conversation, and it's not. Definitely. It definitely speaks to his character. Every every time I hear it, it just – 
it just makes you feel if it doesn't make you feel like you just need to be doing more then I don't know what it does because it just makes me feel like I need to be doing more because he took a stand and he wasn't scared of anything. Of anything Amen. at all. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. And, and and that's what it's supposed to do, Solomon. On the real. It's supposed to make you want to take a stand. You know, we have these conversations, we do this education. I need you to know how rich your history is so that it makes you want to take a stand. And, you know, I remember learning about Muhammad Ali as a child. You know, I used to, I love boxing. You you know, I love boxing. I love MMA. I, I mean, I'm into sports and everything else like that. But a big part of my loving boxing was because of Muhammad Ali. I, I thought I thought boxing gave you courage, you know, because there's, there's something magical about being able to not be afraid to live out loud, live your religion. You know, he took a stance on his religion. He took a stance on boxing. He was determined to be the fullest that he could be, you know? Yes, yes. And to add to this, I have another per, another guest that I would love to introduce into the story, but I didn't know if you wanted this to, this to be strictly about Muhammad Ali. No, this is about black history. Please. Okay, great, great. Okay, so as everybody knows, I am very much into photography, and I love capturing moments in a sense, definitely. So my school is having a guest. His name is Morris. Let me make sure I'm saying it right because I hate getting people's names wrong. Cecil J. Williams. Cecil J. Williams was a photographer in South Carolina in 1937, and he was going to school for photography and film in South Carolina. So around the 1946 is when the height of the civil rights movement started in South Carolina. And what he did is documented everything, everything. And if you look his name up and you see some of these photos and just the the realness of it, because that's that's always a question for me, is who's taking these photos? Like, who's behind the camera? Yeah. At the, and it's, it's, to see the pictures, it's kind of just, because this is stuff that if we saw it in books, it was, it was cotton candy. It was, it was cotton candy just so they could skim by it, and, and, and it wasn't real. Yeah. But the, some of the pictures that you'll see, they're not bad. I don't, I don't. People always think they're like bad. They're not bad. It's just they're just <laughs> they're black people of that time, and it's so beautiful to see. And it's just it's just amazing to see those things preserved and brought to life again, so we can see it. And I feel like in this generation, I remember when the riots started in Atlanta and the protests, and I feel like everybody was taking pictures of everything just because it was a big thing going on. But I don't think a lot of people realize, like, they have, like, history on their phone now. Like, in five yes. years, like, that will be history. That they, They're going to, they're going to, everything that has happened in the past seven months, and I know it seems like we'll never get out of what we're going through, but in four years, all of this is going to be in books. 
they're going to tell this story to my children and anybody after me. And they're really, like, holding on to a piece of history. And I feel like a lot of people don't understand that some of the stuff that they think is easy to just delete off your phone or just another picture that you have. And in three or four years, like, you're not going to – you're going to look at it and it's going to take you back to a a different time. And you'll be able to tell Mm -hmm. people and physically show people, I don't know what they said, but I can show you what was going on at this time. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, I, I love photography. I, growing up in my, uh, growing up with Mimi, growing up with Mama Khadija, art and pictures played a really big part of the story. And, and pictures really do say a thousand words. There's so much that you can capture. There's a picture of a young African American woman. She looks like maybe 20, and she's wearing a sundress. And there's maybe four or five police officers rushing her, and she's standing by herself, and she's she's just she's standing by herself, and you know they're in full battle gear, and and she's just standing there against. To me, it looks like against all odds, and I'm like, that picture says so much about the struggle, about where we are. Because this woman was not in BTUs. She was not in traditional panther wear. She, doesn't, she didn't look like she woke up that morning to march to, to be part of the protest. She looked like she was just a woman living a life and being completely engulfed in smoke in these officers. And that is the picture that I that just sits with me when it comes to these protests and the movement now. The movement is so different from where it is. So, And we need someone that's going to be able to capture it. You know, a lot of these photos, even of, you know, Muhammad Ali, whoever we're talking about, we need these photos. We need to know what they look like. You know, Muhammad Ali spent a lot of time in Africa, and um, we – I got to see the pictures, and the pictures, you know, Muhammad Ali was, he was a big part of Africa and spent time with uh, Nelson Mandela, and I got to see what little African children looked like, and of course, they look like me and you, but if you don't know and you're waiting on the, you know, the crowd to tell you, you would think they were all kind of swollen belly waiting to die, you know what I'm saying? And they weren't. They they were children, you know, and um, we need pictures of that because what that does is that creates an understanding in our brain and in our spirit about the other things that are going on in life. And so um, absolutely, uh, and I don't know, Who's taking pictures in the middle of these situations? Because someone was, someone saw this woman standing there at at the protest and and took the picture, you know. And I and I'm like, wow, you didn't yell, you didn't grab her. You see me? I, I'm going to be yelling at people. I, I I have to be out there directing traffic and directing the chants and everything else like that and turn around there was someone who was able to capture 
her in that moment, and that will be a part of history. You know, that may be a part of black history, maybe a part of women's history of understanding the new, uh, how very much uh, involved and engulfed in um, the movement and have always been. So, um, yeah, the pictures are important. And you say he's out of Savannah? Yes, he's he's having a, he's speaking at my school tomorrow. Okay, okay. And you're going to be there? Of course, of course. Are you going to have your portfolio with you? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'll introduce my portfolio. I would love Please to. Do. But that, even a portfolio, it's, it's just having, I don't think people, I feel like phones and not real pictures, it kind of desensitizes people from what it actually is. Because you, my mom, you, will send me a thousand and one pictures of me being 12 years old. And I'm like, why does this lady keep sending pictures <laughs> of me to my sister? I, I never get it. But when I go home and I hold a picture of me as a baby and I just look at it and she was like, that's you with your big head, that's you. And it just <laughs> it just kind of has a deeper it has a deeper connection. And I remember as a Absolutely. kid, it, it was this drawing of the, you know, the little girl walking to school, being escorted by the three police. And I thought that yes. it was a drawing. The first time I saw it, it was a drawing. I said, that's a very interesting drawing. Why would they pick that? Turns out that's not a, it's a recreated drawing of an actual picture of that happened yes. in real time. And it just, it, it just makes it, it's just, it cements it more in my head because now I know it's real and that this was actually going on. And it's not like I didn't believe it, but a picture will tell yeah. you everything that you missed. Yeah. And, and and then, of course, a picture, when you see a picture, you get to see everything, all the angles, you know, all the pictures with uh, Muhammad Ali and you children. And um, they're smiling. They're, you know, reaching for him. They're all of those things. And it's like, you know, you get to really capture who he was, you know what I'm saying? At that point, he was a cool dude, you know, and, and, you know, he got to hang out with some of the greats. He got to hang out, you know, with the the Martin Luther Kings and the, you know, he he hung out with the the ones that were speaking. And here he is, you know, this this black kid from the school. I love it. I absolutely love it. Make no apologies for who he was, for his religion, for being black. You know, I, I need people to understand being black um, in those times was not easy. You know, he could have very easily decided, hey, I, I'm going to go hang out with these rich white folks and forget that I'm black unless I pass the mirror. And he intentionally did not. He did so the opposite. He went straight to Africa, all over the United States. He he, did, he was enjoying his blackness, and he gave something for other people who had not quite gotten there yet. And and, and honestly, there's still people that aren't there. There's still people that don't recognize the greatness of their blackness and the greatness of um, their culture and those that have been. This is why I know you were talking about uh, how hard it is for you 
even get people to care about their history, you know, because their history is kind of full of pain and stuff, but it's not all painful. There are some real memorable moments in the middle of it. Yes, and that's that's where I like to there's light in there's light in the past. Like I promise you, there's I know we there was it's a, the past is horrible and the way they paint it it is it is very but there are some like you said, there are some very strong moments when the, everything wasn't pain and, and there was still movement in that and we came a long way and there's pro like there's always progress. So I feel like sometimes just shining a light on brighter things or just accomplishments within our black community is really, really important. So keep people uplifted and keep people motivated and happy and inspired to do more things. I, I agree with you 100%. I agree with you 100%. We, and how about this, Solomon? To me, they want to whitewash. They want to make okay things that were not okay, and then they want to make bad things that were not bad, you know, and and so it's like we, we have, this is why it's so important that we stop what we're doing and paint these pictures, you know, this is why we go through and emphasize, you know, we have to let people know Muhammad Ali changed his religion, it's okay to change your religion, you know, he changed his name, it's okay to change your name, it's okay if you want to stand for something that that may have a consequence on it. I wish more people would be willing to make those stands. So we have to, you know, he is 100% an example of what we can do when we're putting our mind to it, you know? Yes. It's, it can, it's so funny how just talking about Muhammad Ali can, can spread out in so many different avenues within yes. Black people and the black experience and what we need to be doing because it can be there's like 15 sides of Muhammad Ali that and it's crazy that yes. some people don't know. Yes, yes. One they know side, all this stats. They know all this stats and don't know why his medals were stripped because that's just not where their interest is. Right, right. Well, they one like of his stats is that he was a father. You know, one one of the stats is that he was a father. He had, I believe, nine children, and so, and one of his children, I'm a big fan of, uh, Layla Ali, there was a time, and I think there's still women boxers, but there was a time where Muhammad Ali's daughter, Layla Ali, was fighting, and um, I think Joe Frazier's daughter was fighting, and, I mean, Layla, Layla was a beast. Layla was so good, she, you know, there weren't really any real competition and challenges for her. That's how good she was. Um, and so uh, he he had he was a, a father. He um, raised children, raised Muslim children, uh, was married to Muslim women. And so, you know, all of those things play a part to the legacy that he had. You know, and I think that's why, you know, another reason when they talk about being willing to take a stand, he knew it wasn't just him making stands. It was him, it, his wives had to deal with the repercussions of his stand. His children had to deal with the repercussions. Every time he got into that ring, he was taking a chance of not coming out of it, and that was a chance that everyone in his family took. 
And so that was a part of who he was. It was. This was definitely a fun assignment. To I, I mean, I've been in school for two years, so I, that's that's a that's a <laughs> that's a compliment. Definitely, this was a fun assignment. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And I like the way you related back to your own self. Now, what was it like, you know, in sports? I know that you did sports, you know, I think what two, three years out of um, high school and everything else like that. Um, there were things I liked about sports. There were things I didn't like about sports. You know, we're still working on getting things fair, um, safety requirements and everything like that. But, you know, every time we have these situations where we have one person that makes it, um, that also helps others to come behind them and say, okay, look, you can play sports. You know, we can do this. We can do that. And so what was it like for you playing sports um, at a black high school under black coaches? Um, And I was very determined that you have that type of leadership um, around you. Do you think that um, even the coaches played a a part in sharing uh, some responsibilities and everything else like that? I want to know, like, what is it like to be a black athlete? Um, it's very different depending on where you are. I live in the country in Macon, so our our environment was very different. It didn't feel like my coach. It just felt like like a uncle yelling at me in the backyard <laughs> all day. That's what it felt like. They, I'm like my coach would call his players. Where are you at? Why are you not at practice? Go in the car, pick them up wherever they have to do. Uh, if practice ran too long, the coach's kids would come back from daycare and the kids would be out there. One of his kids was 12 or 13. In transferring from middle school to high school, he would practice with the, uh, every, the, uh, the head football coach. Coach's daughter was the assistant manager. I've been to the head coach's house a couple of times doing loose jobs that he just needed done, like the grass cut or cleaning his garage or anything like that. I feel like it was a family. It was a big family. It def- it was definitely fun. It was fun. It felt like I was connected to everybody, even though we might not. We were, we were there all day, every day. We were pushing each other mm-hmm. to limits every day. So you definitely create a bond with everybody that you're with because, it's just you and them all day, so you definitely build a connection. A lot of lessons that my coaches – and my coaches were teachers, so I wasn't just seeing them. One of my coaches was my <laughs> teacher, and one of my other coaches was my brother's teacher. So that's how everything uh-uh. – I think I lost Solomon. I think his call dropped at the bottom of the show. But let me tell you, it has been a true pleasure. Muhammad Ali is one of the greatest. Hold on. I think this is him coming back in. Let's see. Greetings. Are you there? Yes. Yes. I'm sorry. I don't know what happened. I don't either. (laughs) Okay. What? Okay. Do you want to wrap up or do you want to finish? It was really a family. 
Yes, it was very much a family. It felt like it felt like I was the I was the little brother in the family, and then once I became a senior, then new babies would come in, and then I felt like these were my brothers that I was getting ready to hold the fort down after I graduated. So it definitely was a family unit. But even in college, you can feel like going to an HBCU, everybody on the football team being black, and this is at the prime of athletes speaking out on injustices in the black community. Yeah. So now they're being in college, you're at a very bigger platform versus your hometown high school team. So whatever you do now is on a different kind of spotlight. So all the athletes wanted to send a message. I remember I remember everybody being mad and they wanted to send a message and the head coach not being the head coach not being black the the uh football team being connected to a university and they have rules and being in like NCAA rules now they have strict guidelines so whatever you could get we could have got away with in high school you couldn't do in college ball anymore because you're you're playing in a different park now so it was definitely it was a very so it was a I saw the switch between us being able to do what we needed to do in high school and being in college now and me seeing players having to follow more of a straighter line and not being able to step out of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's just college. So you know even when we go NFL, it's even stricter because you're talking about people's money and they don't want their money interfered with. So absolutely. You know, I um, there are a lot of different ways that this program could have gone and I really think showing how athletes have protested um, and have, how they've expressed themselves was a really important avenue that had to be, that should have been looked into. And I'm glad that you brought it to light because um, that's major. That's major. You know, for those people, especially people trying to make professional um, sports, for them to go and say, hey, look, um, I'm not going to do that. I'm not even willing to do that because of this standard. And so it, it makes such a big difference um, when it comes to what we're doing. Because what we're seeing is people um, <laughs> people falling for anything, doing anything. You know, I remember, you know, iconic, the 1968 Black Power salute you know, in the Olympic stadiums when the um, gold medalist, I think the bronze medalist, raised their fist up, you know, and they've tried to spin it, oh, that's human rights and blah, blah. No, we know what that fist means up in the air. And they did this in 1968 at the height of everything. You know, this is why I impress upon people. In those days, everyone was an activist. It wasn't a particular person. It wasn't a solo job. You know, it, it wasn't the notoriety that people think is associated with it. No. Everyone played a part. It's like when your kids do homework. No. like when when I say homework. I did my homework, can I have this now? I'm like, well, you're supposed uh-huh. to do your homework anyway, so I don't understand why you thought you were going to get a right. prize for doing it. Right. Right. We always had – and back in my day, it wasn't just me sitting at the table doing homework. 
It, my my mother had the whole neighborhood at the table doing homework. You know what I'm saying? And so there wasn't any separation. We were just everyone was an activist. Everyone was working, and it's important that people know even at the cost, at the risk of losing things, they were still willing to work. And we got to get that energy back. We really, really do. All right, Tommy, you got two minutes. What would you like? What would you like your wrap up on two minutes to be? <laughs> wrap it up in two minutes. I don't wrap know. We, we, we touched. We touched so much. Um, the only thing that I would say is everybody. Everybody. Black history isn't the past. Black history can be current. There's a lot of things yeah. that's been going on in the world now that I feel like people aren't paying attention to because it's not. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it is about this. Uh, the past being appealing to talk about versus what's going on now. But that cycle is going to continue. So that means the next person is going to be talking. So let's let's keep the ball moving forward in progress yeah. and shine some light on some positive things that's going on now because there's a lot of history being made right now that's going yeah. on that needs to be talked about. And it's positive history too. There's a lot of positive history. There are a lot of people doing some really wonderful things out there. So you're absolutely right. So I want to thank everybody for listening in. This has been Solomon and National Director of Operations 7. Um, talking about Muhammad Ali, talking about that whole movement, talking about blacks in sports. You know, we have to have these kind of conversations so that people understand what's going on. Every Thursday at 8 o'clock, we will be presenting people that – shaped black history. You know, we'll be presenting uh, more and more people that we you need to know. And like, I, like I've stated many times, some of this stuff, some of these people, I'm relearning. I had, a, I had learned as a child, everybody knows about Muhammad Ali, saying he is the greatest. But like Simon said, the more I study, the more I apply myself, you get so much more out of these episodes. So take a minute, check out a couple of past episodes, but we do this every single Thursday, and we take turns teaching each one, teach one. This has been Solomon's night, and he did an awesome job. And so we every Thursday we will be teaching our one, and that one turns into 100, which turns into 200, and we continue for there. We want to say thank you. All power to the people and peace.